Before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a very special preview edition of the Grant Williams podcast featuring my very special guest and my good friend, Adam Rodman of Segra Capital. The subject at hand is uranium. With all kinds of fun and games going on in the uranium market, it seemed like a perfect time to get Adam to come and talk to us about that. Adam's been someone who's been all over the uranium space for some considerable amount of time, uh, has done all the work and really understands what is uh, a commodity market unlike any other. So with that being said, please enjoy this preview of my conversation with Adam Rodman. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, and The Narrative Game is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So... If you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, please enjoy the show. Adam, mate, great to get a chance to talk to you. It's been way, way, way too long. It has been way too long. I, I can see your face. I don't know if the people listening know that that we can see each other on the screen, but uh, well, I'm, I'm doing them a favor, not you. <laughs> you're reverse aging. Yeah, yeah, right. I wish. I wish. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a grandfather now, two times over. Um, so, listen, the subject of uranium has been coming up a lot in recent months, and every time. I, I think of uranium, it, it, it's always your face I see in my head. You know, you and I have had some fascinating conversations about it. We talked about this subject four or five years ago, I think. And I know that it's a trade that you've been in before anybody was in it and, and, and banging the drum. So I really wanted to go and, and give people a sense of the, the real background of this trade. Because as I said, it, it's become quite popular, but I think there's an awful lot more to it than perhaps the, the kind of fintwit dog pile is, is making out. And I just thought <laughs> yeah. you're the perfect person to really give it some context and some background. So uh, before we get into the uranium, just give people a kind of quick potted history of your of your background so they know kind of where you came from, and then we'll get into the uranium story. Yeah, definitely. So um, I, uh, I'm the founder of Segra Capital. I had the pleasure of talking with Grant, you know, several times now over the years. Uh, the Oh, man, we've been kind of pigeonholed into putting our strategy into a few words. And I think the, the, the best, the best way we've ended up putting it is that over kind of our history, we've, we've tried to pitch ideas that cause the audience to recoil or the potential allocator <laughs> to recoil at, you know, at first blush. Um, and if they've heard it before, or if they're not somewhat kind of repulsed by what we think is a great investment idea, we, we felt like we weren't doing our jobs. Um, and so that, that I mean, I, in, in some that that's, I think the best way that, that we put it. Um, and, uh, my firm has increasingly focused on all things nuclear. We're going to talk about uranium today, but, um, whether by, uh, purpose uh, or, or just the way things worked out, we, we really have gotten, um, sucked in, in a good way to the nuclear industry. We think it broadly is misunderstood and really undervalued relative to, 
uh, not just like our climate goals, but I think as uh, in terms of societal contribution and the industries that we look at, um, uh, really undervalued. So the last several years, we've we've spent a majority of our time looking at that. We still do other things, but um, everything from you know advanced nuclear technologies and advocacy work and and how we think the energy transition plays out broadly to obviously kind of our favorite topic and, and where we started on all of this, which was um, you know, the vulnerabilities as we saw it a few years ago in the uh, nuclear fuel uh, cycle supply chain. You know, it's, it's fascinating. I think you, me, and Dave Ivan were having a, an email back and forth. It, it must be five years ago about this stuff and talking about this is a long-term trade and talking about how unloved it all was. So, so you know, kind of take us back to the beginning of of your involvement in the sector, kind of paint a picture of what it looked like and then the, the kind of frustrations between then and now. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, when, when we started, when we started really digging into this, well, taking a step back, uh, I was lucky to be involved in kind of the broader uh, uranium commodity thesis in the 2007 to mid-2010 period. You know, better lucky than good, we were out of it uh, in, into kind of the boom years um, before Fukushima. Uh, and, and then really just, you know, kind of had it on the back burner, uh, you know, during its false kind of false fits and starts from post-Fukushima um, really into the, the trough around the 2017 period. But we always had our eye on it. And, and one of the things that I guess re-peaked our interest, and this was 2014 or 2015, was just that we were in kind of this peak renewables in the rest of the world, uh, or in most of the world, and China, which had been so critical to commodity cycle um, then, and I guess to a certain extent now, was the one major economy that uh, somewhat out of left field, very publicly um, reasserted their intention to grow nuclear as a percentage of their generation domestically. And maybe more importantly, it was very clear in in saying that they were counting on it to be some of its carbon-free generation. So if this is 2014, 2015, it's years before, you know, the momentum we have behind the, uh, you know, the energy transition or, or climate yeah. change, whatever you want to call it today. But nonetheless, it was still, you know, it was still a topic that, that came up a lot. And the rest of the world was, you know, this was a time when, when the U.S. was going to be shutting down, I don't know, 35 or 40% of our nuclear generation. Western Europe was doing the same. Uh, every headline was about wind and solar kind of saving saving the world and, and being the delta in our energy mix. And, and China said something very different. So it, it caused us to kind of dust off our playbook. Um, and what really defined our views on this was a delayed capital cycle. So we will get into it, but you know, demand cycles in, in uranium are very lumpy and they are hard to predict. And, I, and we've been very clear about that you know, kind of from the beginning. But what's easier to kind of forecast is about how long it takes to get new supply on and the capital required and the timelines required. And what we got very comfortable with was that in any given quarter or certainly given in in any given year, the amount that utilities decide to procure in the uranium market can vary a lot, Um, especially when you factor in that inventories run very high um, as part of the industry. And so the desire to draw or build is an added kind of key variable in the whole thing that can that can elongate cycles both ways. But nonetheless, ultimately, reactors that are operating in the world use a very easy to calculate amount of uranium 
on a steady state basis. And what we said is that while, again, it might vary around on the margin year to year, we know what they were going to require over time. And when we looked at that, even back in 2015, but certainly we got conviction around it in 2017, 2018, when we became, you know, when we actually got invested in the trade in a meaningful way, um, is that demand would return. Um, and that we had already kind of missed that critical CapEx window uh, to meet that demand. And that's a little bit of what's playing out today. Um, but what, what, you know, exist in terms of a tailwind for the, for the investment into the future now. So, so for the people that don't understand, because you know, as commodities go, the uranium supply is pretty unique. It's not something you find all over the world. It's restricted to a few places. So just just paint a picture of just how the market is structured in terms of where uranium comes from, because there'll be people that don't kind of know that. Yeah, so probably topical, and I'm assuming we'll talk about yeah. it today. Yeah. You know, the, the largest producer in the world is uh, Kazakhstan, um, you know, 40 to 45% of global production. Canada, uh, just north of my border, at least here in the U.S., uh, is another historically, uh, and I'll caveat that, large uranium producer. Uh, it exists but isn't mined much in Australia. Uh likely will into the future uh and then africa kind of round out and russia round out the uh the producing nations but it's very concentrated um not just geographically but also um in terms of the counterparties or companies um that produce it so you know kazakhstan is 40 some odd percent of global supply as i pointed out one company because prom uh would control those uh assets um campco has large resources and in theory has large production, mainly via uh, the publicly traded company Camco. And then even you know even in Africa, which uh, or Australia, it, it, it's it's the, the producing resources are controlled by a relatively few number of players. In Africa, it's, it's mostly uh, Arano, the French uh, company, uh, and then um, the Chinese have a large stake there. And then time will tell who actually runs uh, Australia's resources. Yeah, right. Yeah, if and when they're point. approved going for it. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now, now what about restrictions on mining, some of the, the rules around it? Because it's not just to pull it out the ground and flip it for a, for a buck commodity. Yeah, we, you know, we could probably have a whole separate podcast on the on the regulatory regime, but your your point's well taken. I, th I think the big takeaway is that the lead times to new production are very long, uh, regardless of where you are. Permitting timelines vary, Africa probably being on the faster end of things. Uh, historically, Canada, um, given its jurisdiction, has been kind of on, on the longer lead time of permitting, but there's a lot of oversight that goes into it. And the, and the critical point there, the takeaway is just that supply responses when demand returns take longer uh, than expected. You know, there, are, there, are, there weren't many, if any, um, Wall Street analysts uh, looking at the space when, when we got started, but given that the public market cap has, has grown and nuclear is definitely taking its place kind of amongst energy investments globally, you are starting to get a little bit of um, you know, sell-side institutional research coverage. But what's interesting is you know, a lot of the newbies uh, don't kind of have their their uranium history right. So a lot of people, uh, a lot of analysts, you know, point to the massive run in prices that we saw kind of during the last cycle, um, and uh, incorrectly believe that lots of new companies. The 
full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.